Well, here we are, August 2nd, the day of default. Uh, the Senate is supposed to pass the uh, fabulous bill and uh, Moody's and Standard & Poor's and all those other rating agencies are supposed to stand still, almost in awe. I don't know. It happened. It's hard to believe. It's scary. <laughs> and it proves once and for all, everything you know is wrong. Okay, what have we learned about Obama in this debate? This is according to NBC First Read. Well, he put compromise and averting economic calamity above everything else. That's right, averting economic calamity. Let's keep this in perspective. His critics, including a lot of the babbling liberals at my local coffee shop, say he should have staked out a tougher negotiating stance, like brandishing the 14th Amendment or producing a liberal-leaning negotiating start point. But he never did so, which allowed the hard-charging Republicans to win more concessions. Well, the Democrats were forced to retreat time and time again. They retreated on their push for a clean debt ceiling raise, which of course it's been, that's what they've done for years and years and years. There's never been this kind of economic blackmail. They retreated on the size of the spending cuts and they backed away from insisting the tax revenues be included. Although this may come, come up down the line when we let the Bush tax cuts go, if we do. But the fact is, the Republicans let us know that if you put any revenue bills in this, they will walk away and bring us down. Well, will independents and swing voters reward him for that next year? He can say to Mitt Romney or whoever this GOP opponent may be, can you land the plane like I was able to? It was ugly and messy, but it got done. And, and here's this. There's no longer talk of Obama being a big government socialist, but he didn't get the big deal. And we saw again that his inability to forge personal relationships on Capitol Hill cost him. Yes, it cost him, but let us remember, just like what Joe Biden said yesterday, the Republican Party acted like terrorists. And unfortunately, we were forced to negotiate with terrorists. And what did we learn about the Tea Party? We learned that they don't know how to declare victory. Yeah, the debate bruised up old President Obama, but the failure last Thursday by the tan woodman, Mr. Boehner, to get his bill past his own majority party, that was a body blow. Yes, the Democrats lost in the particulars of the deal, but Republicans lost in looking like a responsible governing party that deserves control of both the legislative and executive branches. They just didn't come through. But they still got what they wanted, a sizable bite out of the government. But strikingly, just like how the left didn't celebrate Obama's landmark health care achievement, even though it was the biggest expansion of the social security safety net since the 1960s, the right isn't really cheering this deal, even though it represents a historic cut in government spending. Okay, well, What's the surprise? It isn't really politics in a sense. It's ideology and it's, it's class warfare, playground class warfare. The thing that is really hard to take is the people who are pulling this off, these so-called freshman senators, don't have, or excuse me, freshman House members, don't have any idea of the concomitants of their actions. They're part of the great, whoosh, just do it generation. Don't matter what it does, what happens afterwards, hey, I'm here to do this, and I'm not listening to anybody except the voice inside my head, which I think is God. Well, lunacy abounds, says a blogger on um, Talking Points Memo. He says, here's a fascinating possibility. 
Through a coalition of conservative Democrats and giddy Republicans, the GOP's extortion, of course, sails through the Senate, which, of course, I believe it has. Yet the House Tea Party Caucus, who all along have insisted they'll vote against any increase in the debt ceiling, votes in negative alignment with the infuriated House Democrats, thereby constituting the death of the deal. Well, that didn't happen. But that is the kind of, you know, potentiality. Things cannot get any weirder than they are, says TP. And at this grotesque point, no speculation is unthinkable. American politics is now defined only by unrestrained lunacy. Yeah, unrestrained lunacy. Well, a few of the Democrats had, had kind of a, a unique way of encapsulating what went down. Representative Emanuel Cleaver, a Democrat from uh, Missouri, called the deal a Satan sandwich. I love that. I will never forget that. And Representative Luis Guitares, a Democrat from Illinois, enjoyed Cleaver's heat analogy, i.e. Satan, where it gets really hot, saying the Tea Partiers and the GOP have made their slash and burn lunacy clear. Ah, lunacy again. And while I do not love this compromise, my vote is a hose to stop the burning. The arsonists must be stopped. But how are we going to stop them? I don't see anybody in the street. I see, in fact, a media that just likes to run the most ridiculous story. The more obtuse, out of touch, racist, sexist, stupid you are, the better chance you have of getting the print. And it's interesting that Guitaras talks about he's using this as a hose to, to save a burning house. That's what Roosevelt described Lend-Lease as to get Lend-Lease, which saved the Churchill's government, and probably saved us. That's how we got it through an isolationist Congress, which was almost as ideological as this. But he did it, and it worked. Now, people say, oh, Obama's going to lose his liberal base. It's all over for him in 2012. Well, a recent poll, a Gallup poll, said 72% of self-described liberals still approve of Obama's job performance, down seven points since the beginning of June, Osama bin Laden's snuff time, but up two percentage points for mid-July, the poll found. Yeah, he's keeping his base, because one of the points is, who else? Is it going to be, I really do like that Mitt Romney. Yeah, I really do. I know he's, he's like an empty suit, but, you know, I want something fresh. I want something new. Well, here's what another blogger asked. Do Republicans hate republics? These groups have repeatedly rejected deals that appear, to people like himself, to have given them everything they have wanted and more. The sticking point? At least without a balanced budget amendment, future Congresses might undo deals made in the present. But that is the essence of Republican government, trusting future generations to govern themselves as we today govern ourselves. Seeking restrictions on a future generation or generations, at least on issues of spending and generating revenue, is to reject a central premise of republicanism. And that's small r. That the best way for people to govern themselves is to experiment at each moment to find out the best way to get it done. Hey, enough said. Okay, last note before we go out. Uh, it's the great not me in the White House. Everybody's saying, hey, it's not a racist thing. The right wing just don't like him. Well, Representative Doug Lambin may have given the other side of that uh, debate some ammunition. He likened compromising with Obama to, get ready, touching a tar baby on talk radio yesterday. 
But he probably didn't mean to use the, the racially charged term in a racist way, right? There's no way he missed the lesson from John McCain's Tar Baby Blunder or Mitt Romney's Tar Baby Blunder or Tony Snow's Tar Baby Blunder, right? Not racist, just a term of speech. Well, let me tell you something. If Mr. Lamborn's underlying theory or underlying feeling wasn't racist, then... Everything you know is wrong. Let me put it this way, if you really believe, and I'm, I put myself in that category, if you really believe that Doug Lambert wasn't being racist when he talked about touching the tar baby in terms of dealing with Obama, if you really believe that, then...